So once upon a time when I was a pastor in Arkansas, yeah. uh, we had a, a significant ministry to deaf people really? at our church. Yeah, we had several um, people that were students at the Arkansas School for the Deaf who okay. attended my school. Do you know deaf students play football? Which is fascinating to watch because um, they have silent counts and, you know, mm. that whole yeah, bit. Yeah. Right, yeah. you know, I mean, which is a thing you can do and, you know, that yeah. you see in standard football. But what was more impressive to me was the mascot of the Arkansas School for the Deaf. They were the leopards. They were literally the deaf leopards. That rules. <laughs> um, this is um, a mascot chosen well before the 1980s British band came across the pond to the United States. But um, nonetheless, I found n- no limit to my entertainment of going to see the Deaf Leopards. That's very funny. Um, regularly, I wouldn't even have to pay a ticket price at all to see yeah. Deaf Leopards, uh, which is very funny to me. Yeah, you get a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah, it was... <laughs> It's the uh, that that really is a dad joke that keeps on giving. Huh? It, it really is because I mean it just it's it's, it's such a gift. But nonetheless, um, uh, welcome again to the Good Trash Hundred Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film today's course. And I think that's still the case as we continue with our song of praise for Song Kang Ho, uh, the great leading actor of the Oscar winning film Parasite. This week's film is uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, directed by Chan Park Woo. Did I get that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, Park Chan Wook. Uh, well, well, Chan is what they do first, right? Correct. Normally, yeah, right. Okay. Chan Wook Park. Park. If, yeah, if you're doing it uh, Korean style. But I think he, most of his films, he credits himself as Park Chan Wook. And yeah. that seems to be the trend throughout the, the Korean new wave is uh, crediting the, the given name, name first. And, first. Yeah, surname. Thoroughly like across name Asia, this like, becomes a Bong confusing. Jun-ho. Yeah. Yeah. Kim Ji Woon. And I think because of the the, the play that uh, Asian cinema gets in Europe and North America, I think that might be the reason for the name reorder, but it's not always the case. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's Park Chan-wook is how he's usually titled. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's what we're talking about. It sure is, and uh, I'm still Dustin. Oh, I'm still Dalton. I'm still Arthur, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs> Bye. Um, no, not really. Uh, so we're going to talk about this movie, and uh, we got to warn you, dear listener, at the outset, this is not a review show. It is indeed an analysis show. And that does mean we're going to spoil the ending of this film, which is significant. A lot of stuff happens in this movie. Uh, the, the many things that happen and the way it ends is kind of part of what it's about. So if you have not tuned in yet to Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, get you a Shudder account ASAP or uh, a Tubi TV free account and uh, watch the movie there. Alternatively, you can go to the library. They probably got it. Or, you know, just go buy it. Go buy it. Or, you know, if there were blockbusters, you could go there, but there aren't. I'm sure it's rentable on Amazon. Probably. Yeah, but then you got to give Jeff Bezos money. Which so, is Mr. a Expanse. sad thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, hold on. I like The Expanse, but I liked it when it was on the Science Fiction Network. Uh, now, I look, we make we make our choices. The Science Fiction Network? You mean <laughs> sci-fi, right? I'm called it the Science Fiction Network. I'm standing by it. <laughs> sci-fi. They even dropped the C-I-I. Calling yeah. it by its Christian name. Thank you very much. It's a name with no vowels at this point. <laughs> yes, I've, I've seen, I've seen the, the new font. It's weird. Uh, I still refer to TNN as the Nashville Network, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Spike TV. Uh, Oh man, it's weird to watch cable uh, networks just uh, fall apart over the last couple of decades. Oh huh? yeah, 
That's fun. Streaming's a thing. So anyway, remember when music was played on MTV? Oh. Yeah, this movie's. Uh, you can find it. Yeah, you can find it. But we're going to spoil it on the show. But we're going to avoid the spoilers for the first part of the show. The way it's going to look is there's going to be a synopsis from Mr. Arthur Gordon, which is going to be generally spoiler light. We're going to do a thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Again, very spoiler light. And then we're going to expand the syllabus, which is spoiler moderate. Then we get down to business and bring that spicy analysis like we do. Radical spoilers. Radical, radical anarchist spoilers are going to come your way. None you, of it matters in the end. That's right. It's so sad. And uh, at that point, you have then been warned. So there you go, dear listener. I have nothing further to say at this point. Arthur Gordon, please delight us with your synopsis, please. Ryu's sister is terminally ill due to a kidney disease. He works at a factory to save money. When Ryu discovers he is not a tight match to be able to donate to his sister, he is persuaded to seek alternative means. He looks through the black market in hopes of buying the kidney he needs, but this leads to a double con as the group takes his money and his kidney. With no money for the transplant and a donor in sight, Ryu's girlfriend talks him into kidnapping his boss's daughter after he is fired from his job. But once Ryu takes the girl, a series of tragedies unfolds, sending two men on an unfaltering path to revenge. Okay, I have a question, though. What's up? What is he making at the factory? I couldn't tell. Smelting metal? Unclear. I couldn't yeah. figure it out. I, they're like these little bars of some Looks like metal of... shavings, almost. Yeah. Well, we know that his employer works with uh, uh, Song Kang-ho's character, and Song Kang-ho character runs like some sort of engineering firm. So, yeah, presumably it is a, a metal fabrication plant of some kind. But, yeah, I'm just, just curious because I, I never together. could quite figure out what he was making. Good question, right up the top, though. I like, but, I like, uh, I look. We got to get these logisticals out of the way quickly. Get the context laid out. I'm glad you're asking the right questions. Dustin. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and get down to those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. What do you think, Dalton? Do well, you like sympathy for Mister Vengeance? Well, we've certainly given ourselves something of a cheat with this marathon, haven't we, boys? Mm -hmm. uh, because you would, in fact, talk about a lot of the movies we're going to be discussing in the Song of Praise marathon if you took a class on uh, Korean New Wave cinema. For sure. Uh, I, I mean, you're just you're gonna talk about about Bong Joon-ho, you're going to talk about Kim Ji-woon, you're definitely going to talk about Park Chan-wook. Like, However, I want to throw in, yeah, I have never met a Korean cinema scholar. That seems unfortunate, and I, I, maybe that is due to the fact that Korean New Wave is kind of a thing that's occurred in the last 20 years. I mean, I think the scholars are going to be people our age uh, once they start making their way into academia uh, and in film studies circles. Uh Potentially, because yeah, that's a very good point, Dustin. I, that might be th th a very big reason of that. You know, uh, French cinema, Hong Kong cinema, uh, South Asian cinema. These are, uh, you know, you find scholars of these uh, things in North America pretty readily. I would say, and I would that, think but so. there's a longer history there, so right, that might right. be why. Uh, but to that point, though, th these are good movies we're watching. Uh, I, I mean, just really top of the gr top of the line uh, form. It, it really does kind of blow the mind how well crafted. These films we're watching are, and uh, how wild it is that Parasite was the first uh, Korean film to win the Palme d'Or, just because the, even looking at uh, this film in The Falcon, just looking at what's going on in South Korean cinema in, in the early aughts is, is really kind of staggering and kind of makes uh, me as an American blush at uh, what uh, you know Hollywood was churning out at the same time. Because these are, you know, th this is a smaller film uh, in compared to some of the other films that Park Chan-wook made. But, uh, you know, him and, and his contemporaries, whose uh, films we're going to be discussing in this marathon, these are like the big name directors uh, of their country, right? These are not independent filmmakers. These are the, the guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it is kind of interesting uh, to just see, like, even the, in these genre exercises, 
uh, how committed to the craft they are. Uh, it, it really is kind of feels like blazing a trail for, you know, uh, an American cinema we wouldn't get till the next decade with A24 films. These kind of very uh, tightly woven genre exercises that are trying to get at much larger themes. And I think that is uh, the strength uh, of symphony. Sympathy. Sympathy. Not a symphony, although a symphony Symphony would be cool. Symphony for Mr. Vengeance. Symphony for the Devil. Well, look. Uh, symphony of Destruction. Yeah, symphonies and sympathies uh, all around. Uh, th- that's the strength of this film, whose title I will not take another swing at for fear of getting tongue-tied. Uh, it just keeps revealing itself to you. Uh, I've seen Old Boy. I have not caught up with Lady Vengeance. Uh, so I've, I've just now seen uh, both uh, of the first entries in this unofficial trilogy, or I guess official. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he does kind of talk about them as a set of films. Uh, but th- this first film, I mean, Old Boy, I appreciate its big, weird scope and uh, its kind of melodrama uh, tendencies. But this film is like laser focused on realism uh, in, in a way that, again, it's it's got its its moments where it kind of dabbles uh, in things outside of human experience. But this is a film where reality can't stop intruding. Uh, movie type things just don't happen in this film. It, it is. Bad decisions lead to bad consequences ad nauseum. Uh, and that sounds really unpleasant, and that's not to say the film isn't unpleasant at, at times, but it, it, the ways in which it lets you forget it's a dark film are really interesting, uh, up until probably the last 30 minutes, which just go full tilt. Uh, but I would say the first two-thirds of this film are, are like a shocking, upsetting thing will happen, and the film just kind of goes back into a, a really pleasant groove for a while and then another shocking upsetting thing will happen you go oh that's right this is a a revenge film and bad things are going to keep happening uh and and the way in in, in which this story kind of like allows itself to stretch out in the first probably two-thirds uh or so is is just really impressive to me uh that structure stuff aside i really like the performances here uh getting to see a young duna bay performance is a ton of fun for me as a wachowskis fan uh she showed up in uh, obviously cloud atlas and sense eight working with them uh, so seeing her early in her uh, her career, uh, that was really fun um, and uh, w- was nice because uh, I-, I liked Ryu. Uh, that the actor is not somebody I'm familiar with. Uh, Shin Hei Kin, I- I'm going to, that's my stab at it. Uh, thank you for getting these names for us, Arthur. You're a gem. Um, I-, I like him, but, uh, you know, the the presence of Duna Bay, once she's introduced as his, his long-term girlfriend, like it really does bring a, a new level uh, of nuance out of his character because it, it gives him see, uh, another scene partner to, to interact with outside of this this tale of his sister, which kind of dominates, I would say, the, the first, you know, expositionary chunk of the film. Um, and, and it really isn't until uh, Song Kang-ho does show up well into the film mm-hmm. that it kind of finally does reveal where the beats are going to lie. Yeah. Um, it never stops surprising, though. Every time I, I thought I had this this tale figured out, it did kind of zag where I thought it was going to zig, uh, and that's something I, I really appreciate about it. Uh, it's it's a weird movie, y'all, uh, and it is not a fun time. Uh, but there is a lot to discuss here, and uh, I'm done with this review because I want to get I want to talk about it. <laughs> I want I want to stop beating around the bush. I'm trying to be very spoiler conscious right now uh, because. I think that's the fun of part of the fun of this movie is watching it unfold. Did so. you ever say if you liked it or not? I, was it unclear? Yeah, I like okay. it. Did my oh, okay. is my energy uh, misread? Yeah, I like this a you lot. You said we're watching a lot of great films, so that kind of gave it away. Okay, Thanks. okay, yeah. Okay. So uh, I, specifically, I was, I was looking to just put know. you on the horns horns of the altar. There, that is the question with it. I don't know how much I like it because it is. Uh, 
an upsetting film, mm. uh, and it is kind of a, a hard watch in terms of the ways in which it lulls you into false senses of security. Uh, I, I like it though. I you're, do. You're fairly sure it's good, but you're not sure you like it. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. Okay, with it. I'm quite certain it's good. Uh, I'm I'm less certain how much I want to revisit it. Yeah, fair that's enough. An fair enough. Way to put it, which so, is about how I feel about Old Boy, which makes sense. So, can you be less middling, Arthur? Do you like this movie or not? <laughs> I don't know if I can or not. Um, I no one middles like me, bud. I in the moment I, I liked it quite a bit after watching it initially. Um, in, in the few days since I've seen it, I, I'm not quite as sure. I'm I was still in, interested by it, but I, I kind of put it out of my mind in a certain way. So I think it's okay. So it's probably a very middling response. Sorry, Dustin. Um, Holy guys, I, I, I like though that Park is able to establish his tone and visual style so early in the movie. Mm. He's got a great grasp, I think, of uh, not tone uh, but scope uh, okay. and the way he establishes this the world that he's in with these characters I think is very well done. Um, performances are, are really good, like you said. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, I, I kept wondering when he was going to pull the trigger on this quote-unquote revenge narrative. And yeah. when he finally does pull the trigger, I think it goes into some very interesting places. And, and to see these kind of dual paths unfolding and where they lead is quite interesting, I think, from a, a narrative standpoint. And quite different from what we would normally see in the American revenge thriller. Yeah, it's late in the game uh, when the revenge starts here, which yeah. is yeah, not what you would expect from a Western revenge story. Yeah, and so I, I appreciate those elements of it. I, I really like song, and it's a drastically different performance from what we saw with the Falcon. It's a much more reserved, I think, and nuanced style. And I mean, it's only a couple years later, but he looks so much more aged and worn uh here and he I looks think it's, so much older yeah, yeah i mean it's only three years or i guess yeah three well, years he's doing liam neeson yeah in the future yeah. i mean yeah it, it really is it, it shows just how quickly uh in his career he he had a, a, a width and breadth of of uh performances to give yeah and, and i've seen this mentioned about uh korean cinema in general but there's sort of this mastery of marrying genre not just yeah. you know we see it here we saw it in Parasite uh, we see it some of Kim Ji Woon uh, in in the Falcon King and even uh, the Quiet Family uh, and even in Old Boy I think there's there's a lot of even humor it, yeah. and then there's some uh, romance and heart Kim Ji Woon's American film The Last Stand which yeah. is not as interesting as some of his other stuff but uh, also has got like a lot of tonal mixing going on yeah and, and it's a really interesting hand that that's able to lay these out I think and so far as what we're used to with American genre cinema, which is very usually in the pocket of whatever it's, you know, if it's revenge, it's all revenge. But I, I think what these Korean filmmakers have shown us in, in their ability to craft these kind of multi-layered, multi-genred stories is an interesting approach to telling uh, their tales. Um, and I really appreciate that about them. Um, I think for me that... Uh, Where's going to go? Oh, um, sorry. The other thing that I was kind of taken back by for a long time until towards the end when I kind of realized how he was using it was this use of the elliptical fade to black editing that is pretty consistent. Oh, yeah. Um, there'll be a, just a 30 second to a minute little sequence and then a fade to black and then come back to another moment or whatever. Uh, yeah, and it um, usually jumps us forward a couple of weeks or days when it, yeah. it does that. And there's a lot of moments where he does this um, and it's kind of later revealed that in those moments, there's a lot of much darker stuff happening off screen than even what we're seeing on screen. Um, and this really comes into play in the back half of the movie, which is, I think, a fascinating approach to that. Um, and that idea of 
imagined violence. You know, we see this with like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or mm-hmm. the Chainsaw and Scarface, where mm. what you picture in your head is a lot worse than what actually happens on screen. And I think that park really lets the audience have free reign of their imagination in, in a lot of the moments here to kind of put their perspective on how dark these characters go with, with what they're attempting to do. And I think that's a really interesting use of editing in a way that we're not really familiar with. And I think it's kind of cool, but I was a little frustrated with it early on because it felt so constant. Um, but I think it works. So, but yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. I watched this whole vengeance trilogy and I, I, I think it's stronger than old boy in many ways. I like the more straightforward approach to the narrative. We're not really trying to solve a mystery. It's, pretty pretty laid out for us um and he less does hide a couple of things yeah less squid eating is really, <laughs> really probably the biggest benefit um but even in lady vengeance there's a little bit of a, a mystery but not quite uh like old boy just i'd say scants more than what we get here um and so i don't know i i'm still kind of wrestling with this one all right fair enough fair enough I like it. I like it a bunch. I think it's very, very well made. I think it's well directed. I think it's well acted. Um, hey, love for you, son, played by Han Bobe um, as a child actress. Good that, child performance. Man, it's impressive stuff really that she's putting down there. Yeah, yeah I yeah. love it. I mean, not only is she able to act adorable and cute and somewhat precocious and frustratingly rich and privileged, but also dead spoilers um she's very good at playing dead and uh whole spoiler guy i'm sorry oh Oh, don't worry we're not gonna spoil anything (laughs) in the review section well uh, okay that's that That does okay that feels like pretty obvious in terms of review like she dies and she's good at being dead it's pretty easy to clock that that's where the film's going you're absolutely right and so she is very solid in that performance. Also, give me a death sex scene any day of the week. That is really interesting. I mean, I just I just found it really, really fascinating and sort of creative that you would do this thing in which people would sign to each other during sex, yeah. right, to, to profess their love for one another. It's a really cute and, moment. And drowning out the sound when um, our main character, Ryu, is, is reacting back and forth. I mean, I, fantastic. Um, I really, really enjoyed that, um, you know, for artistic reasons uh <laughs> as you're looking important clarification um, no i was thinking about how much you're gonna like my uh my syllabus later oh, oh excellent excellent gonna be a lot of um deaf sex yeah just the one but still okay well that's okay <laughs> uh <laughs> i want the deaf sex syllabus we got to make that happen. This is quickly approaching a, a very inappropriate kind of fetishization. Well, that's not what I meant. It was just creatively like representing that, you know, sort of interaction and type of romance. I was just screen. teasing you. I appreciate the back pedal. Yeah. Uh, it was framed much more eloquently when I held your feet to the fire. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being weird. Uh, I'm just saying that was kind of interesting. It, no, it, it is a beautiful, like, really kind of a cute moment in that scene. Right. Like, yeah, I absolutely know what you're saying. And so, and also, as you were mentioning earlier, Arthur, the elision of violence that makes it worse. Mm. I, I, I think that's kind of really powerful and a good filmmaking choice. This could have been odd. Uh, which is a movie that's pretty graphic in its violence and pretty uh, harrowing. Yeah. And well, as often as we get those blackouts, we get uh, people's reactions to seeing violence, which mm-hmm. I think is uh, equally as compelling yeah. as yep. the totally letting your imagination yep. go. It's giving you one person's reaction yeah. to an event, which I love. 
So, I mean, I think that's really, really interesting. And I do love the arc of the story of revenge and how the, the sort of theory that an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And that's a bad choice to be making. And so um, I think thematically it's very interesting in that sense as well. Not to mention the fact that there's a healthcare system in which somebody's stuff's not getting paid for. And uh, there is a wage system in which uh, your employment is not going to cover your costs. And there are multiple sort of levels of exploitation there taking place. Solidarity with South Korea. Man, I'm, it's we a, can relate, y'all. It's a it's a tough way to be, and I like how it wrestles with all of those things and puts them in conversation with this sort of you know more metaphysical search uh, for vengeance and how that's not satisfying. And so I, I think putting those things in conversation is a really really powerful way to put together a film. And so yeah, big fan. I like it a lot. Yes, it's hard to watch. No, I won't watch it again immediately, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. I'm unequivocal. I like this movie. I must say, though, that The Jerk Train to Basan was a much different film than I imagined it to be. <laughs> <laughs> that scene. You gremlin. <laughs> you are a gremlin. I guess we need to move on now and expand that their syllabus. So we're going to put together this sort of thought exercise that is the uh, want of the show in recent months where we uh, were creeping up on a year of this new format yeah, yeah. something like that and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pretend like we're teaching this uh, film in a class the class can be whatever class we want the subject or uh, sort of big broad overarching thing be it English film studies slash media studies slash sociology slash history slash psychology slash philosophy whatever it happens to be we get to pick all of that and we're going to put this movie into a module or part of a course and we're going to expand the syllabus by saying these the additional viewings and or readings that we might use to teach that particular idea i go to you first arthur how would you expand that their syllabus uh this would be a section of a probably maybe just an intro to film studies i think because i want to talk about production intro design. with sophomores yeah you're gonna make the sophomores watch it yeah i am oh hell yeah, yeah buddy hell yeah pull no punches no they need they to know what's going it. on um but i i just I, I i watched this movie and and thought quite a bit of seven um mm, and i thought a lot yeah. about the production design of, of these movies is kind of what i'm calling uh the scene of the grime um Love that. These movies that have it. this very dirty, very nasty uh, look and appeal to them. And so I'd start off with a little essay I found called Production Design, Arthur Max and Donald Graham Burt by Christopher Daniel Walker. Um, and it outlines uh, the work of Arthur Max and Donald Graham Burt as production designers uh, working in, in genre, uh, working with Ridley Scott on Prometheus and also working with David Fincher on Seven. Uh, in particular, Arthur Max, and then Donald Graham Burt's work with uh, Fincher on Gone Girl. Um, but it's easy to get caught up on direction or score um, or performances and kind of forget about stuff like production design or mm -hmm. sound editing, sound design, uh, which are very central and key to, uh, especially with a thriller, uh, developing tension or developing your, you know, what's going on in a scene. And so... I'd probably get into to the elements of production design and how sets are dressed and, and how that's all chosen. Maybe a little cinematography with coloring and things like that, which is very key, I think, to Seven. Mm. I think here as well, there's a lot of green being used, which I think is very good. Are you aware of the sort of uh, legend surrounding this particular film and its uh, color design? So the initial intention from uh, Park Chan-wook was to uh, make the film uh, – 
desaturated its colors towards the end. It was going to be black and white. Do, are you aware of this? Huh. It was going to be black and white by the end. Love that. And there are director's editions available, I, I, apparently, that do that. Oh, wow. That's but, cool. But anyway, just, I like FY, that. just FYI. I really like hey, that. Hey, filmmakers? Yeah, Get, there's get weird with it. There's something for you. Well, they ran out of money. Well, they, that they, sounds like an could, expensive thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're shooting on film stock. Like you've got to like yeah. We ooh, that'd be hard. But yeah, get weird with it once in a while. Yeah, I love that. That's cool. Um, and so uh, I, that would be kind of my setup for this. We probably talk about Miz on Sand and the idea of the how the production design set design uh, reinforces the themes of what the director's trying to portray, or, or even fleshes out exposition so that the uh, performers and script don't actually have to call it out. And mm. I think of. Rear window, uh, where we try to figure out what happened to the, I want to call him Scotty, uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart's leg. Um, and it's revealed through a set of pictures rather than him just saying, oh, I broke it at a car race. Um, and, and the intelligence that can be done uh, with your script and with exposition. And so from there, though, uh, the, the movie pairings I would have with this are, uh, I think... I'd have to go maybe with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I already yeah. dropped it once, yeah. but talk about a Ooh, dirty, dirty movie. Just a Grammy movie. Yeah. You feel sweaty is, when you watch it. It's disgusting. Covered and, in motor oil. And, and, and so and much of so that. so good. Mm. And, and so much of that is what makes that movie so terrifying. It is just Absolutely. the pure, grimy heat of it all. Um, and then from there, I think I would move into Silence of the Lambs, which feels like a real precursor to Seven, mm. especially yeah. James Gum's home. Yeah. Uh, the, the Cell. Uh, mm-hmm. Lectures in initially. Um, yeah, this is the, just Demi's wheelhouse, right? Just yeah. like giving you a lot of information, like in, in outside of dialogue. Yeah, and then obviously Seven, I, I think, is a big. Insp- it feels like a big inspiration here for Park uh, mm. and and the look of this film. And I think Seven is just. I mean, it set the tone for a good decade or decade and a half in in crime and and, and thrillers. Oh yeah, TV and film, absolutely yeah, right. visually. Um, and so you got to talk about Seven, and then finally, I think. Um, Especially in relation to this and Old Boy, I think you got to talk about Saw. Uh, I think I you think do right. with yeah. James Wan Ooh, and another and Lee dirty looking movie. Yeah, <sighs> but I, I mean, especially with Old Boy. Well, the hyper planning of Seven like leads us to the hyper planning of Saw. Yeah, right. Which yeah. I mean, yeah, Old Boy is very much of a piece with as you just mentioned, Arthur. These uh, using that grime and have. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, that, that, but that would be. I really want to put a spotlight on a, on a area of the. The technical trade and, and crafts that aren't really highlighted as often as some of the, the bigger ones, and, and I think production design is is can make or break a film, and, and I think this is a movie that does it really well, and and I would like to highlight that. Awesome, awesome, very, very good. I would take that class. Hey, Dalton, Woo-hoo. what's your class looking like? Uh, well, quick sidebar: I just found out as of two thousand and four, South Korea does have a single payer healthcare system. So. Uh... Uh, there you go. Just a few scant years later, everybody's fine. Hey, and guess sim- what? The art changed Bishop. everything. Man, That's right. For you, sister, could have made out for like six more months. Because there's only one nation that's industrialized that doesn't have it. I was about to jump. Well, that's what, as soon as we started uh, talking about paying for health care in this film, I was like, wait a second. I forgot about that while I was watching the movie. I thought we were the only ones. Uh, so I had not done research on that yet. So there you go. It's, it's a fairly new thing for them. Um, so uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, very... Uh, clear uh ease on this eye chart uh about revenge and i i we talk a lot about revenge films uh on this show and uh i think we'll probably do that more tonight i'm excited to hear what dustin has to say about that uh or potentially other things uh of that nature we'll see uh i decided to talk about uh, the deaf and hard of hearing on film uh because it is kind Please of a thank you a, a small corner of film but there is definitely representation going on there could be more 
Uh, but it, but it is something that we get to uh, in the cinematic arts uh, every once in a while. Um, so there's going to be probably, I think, a, a good grounding for this course is uh, probably just going to be looking at some ADA legislation history stuff. I, I think it'll be interesting context uh, and helpful context uh, just for talking about uh, differently abled peoples and how they navigate uh, our society that assumes hearing. Um, and then again, I think it'll be interesting to just talk about the use of sound in film. Uh, and, and talk about the watching of film without sound. Uh, I, I think there's just going to be a lot of uh, good conversation outside of even the films that we'll be watching that depict the deaf and hard of hearing. I think there's going to be a lot of good homework and legwork to do. Um, but obviously, I, I think uh, I think the place we're going to need to start is the film Children of a Lesser God. You guys know this one? Marley Matlin. Yeah, yeah, Mar- and, uh, yeah. yeah. And, um, oh my gosh, John Hurt. She oh, won no. her an Oscar for this one. She well, did indeed. Cool. She's incredible in it. It's a great performance. And look, it is kind of... Uh, What's the, the novelty performance is like the grossest way to put it, and that's kind of those are kind of the performances that the Oscars love to give out every once in a while. But it is a really really good performance. Uh, it, it's a bummer that uh, she had that that uh, breakout role Oscar curse befall her. Uh, but obviously Hollywood being what it is, I imagine that's not the only. She reason. had a good run on the West Wing. She's had you look. She, she shows she, up she, on TV. Yeah, she's, she's gotten got, work. She had a, a recurring role on. Um, was it Weeds? I don't know. She, she did a lot of TV work in the odds. Yeah. Marley Mountain's great. But uh, she's really good in this film, and it uh, takes place at a school for the deaf. And uh, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting uh, conversations in there. Uh, we can talk about reactions to the film on its release. Uh, I haven't caught up with this one in years and years and years. It's been a while for me. So uh, I would just honestly like to prep work uh, how to teach it. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I'm not going to make anybody watch uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. That's, that's me. I'm not going to do that to anybody. <sighs> so that's, that's, I know. Look, I've got a soft spot for it in beautiful, my heart, too. People hate, you guys know how much people hate this movie? People hate Mr. Holland's Opus. I love that movie growing up. I, I look, it's got a soft spot in my heart. I watched as a little kid uh, with my parents. Yeah. All right, I guess we'll just do it on the show sometime. Thanks right. for, well, there we go. We're going to move right along, though. Uh, we're going to talk about a film that I haven't actually <laughs> seen. Uh, that Dustin was making a obscene hand gestures at me. I'm just telling you that people don't like it. I'm, I'm not just, saying anything I'm about... just speaking American sign. All right, all right, all right. We're going to talk about this film from Ukraine called The Tribe that I've never actually seen, but uh, it is quite infamous. Uh, it does also take place uh, primarily at a school for the deaf, uh, but it is all uh, in Ukrainian sign language, I'm going to say. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who's... I assume that... I don't know. Uh, but it, it's all signing. There's not... I've got a student writing an essay right now about all that. I don't understand any of it at all there at this point. Uh, but there's little... I think there might actually be no spoken dialogue in the film, and I'm pretty sure if I remember right, this film doesn't subtitle any of the signing cool. either. Which, yeah, wow. I, I uh, it, it's kind of infamous. Uh, it took me a while to find it because I couldn't remember what country it was from, but boy, howdy did I find it and uh, went ahead and reread about it. Uh, it just sounds so cool, and uh, I would just be excited to to prep it for myself. I would have watched it uh, in preparation for this conversation if I'd had enough time, but uh, if I was teaching a class on it, yeah, we'd definitely check that out because that is something that is kind of a, a singularity. I, I don't, I can't think of another film that, that is that uh, bold uh, in going that far. Uh, we're also going to talk about Hush, which is just a fun thriller yeah. um, from uh, a, a, somebody we're a big fan of here over at this show. Um, oh, my gosh. Arthur Mikey Flanagan. Mikey Flans. Oh, love Mikey that Mikey. Flans. Uh, Mikey Flans. Love uh, the man. We, oh, we do love him. Uh, look, he's obviously coming off. We're a fan off, of Flans. We're a fan of Flans. Obviously, he's coming off of Dr. Sleep, uh, but, you know, The uh, House on Haunted Hill, Oculus, all that stuff. But, Gerald's uh, Game. Gerald's Game. And then Hush, yeah. uh, which him and his spouse uh, made together. Uh, she, that she co-wrote it with him, and she's the star. Uh, and a great performance, uh, and, and a really uh, just using 
uh, a character's um, you know natural abilities uh, and, and examining how somebody uh, just you can change the structure of a film uh, of of a common narrative uh, by introducing something like that. And uh, yeah, I think Hush is just a fun. It's ninety minutes and out, uh, but there's a lot there in terms of how can you use sound design to uh, depict a character's experience. Uh, and how can you use details about a character to inform your narrative? I think there's a lot of great lessons uh, on writing in there. Uh, and then I, I think where we're going to need to close out is Baby Driver. I, I think we'll slowly move from the re- realities uh, to just the production side of things. I think starting with that grounding in uh, the, the deaf and hard of hearing experience and talking about that experience on film and like slowly shifting towards that sound design conversation gets us to Baby Driver. We can really talk about the, the sound design there, but also... Um, there's a lot of great uh, writing from right when that film came out about uh, the depiction of uh, both tinnitus and uh, just deafness in general uh, in that film. And uh, really great stuff. And, and again, I, I think uh, those are the conversations that are going to be really interesting is uh, how do these representations get received in, in communities when they come out? How, how do the conversations around the films further our understandings of them? That's that's going to be a lot of a lot of great work done there, I think. What is that stupid Stanley Tucci movie? Which uh, one? On Netflix with the deaf girl and the uh, bats. Uh, and the bats? Oh, are you talking about uh, the one with uh, Sandy B that's basically Quiet Place but with yes. Seeing Bird Box? Uh, that's what it's called. It's uh, not a Stanley Tucci movie. Are we talking about the same no, thing? No, I think he's thinking there's another one. In... No, Stanley Tucci's in it, yeah. Uh, okay, um, this is, I thought Tucci was in Bird Box. I'm looking right now on my phone to figure out the answer. This is the worst. Is the silence. The silence. Thank you very much. The, I, it's a, it's a it, bad version of what you're talking about. I just think mm. it'd be interesting to do something that does it kind of poorly. Oh, okay. So uh, that, yeah, I don't know this film. This is what I watched it like literally last night. It was uh-huh. like a Netflix original. Kind of came in under the radar late last year. I think. Oh, as they often do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> as, as they, as, often as they do. want to. Do. I mean, it's a good thriller. I mean, in terms of like narratively, like the uh, sort of pleasures of cinema, it's good. But in terms of its depiction and representation of disability, it's kind of the worst. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I thought I thought about uh, Quiet Place. Uh, uh, because of the the daughter character in that, she's not really featured in the film. Doesn't really deal. It's just kind of a, it's mm. thrown in there to kind it of got a lot more buzz, just mainly from them using sign language. I think more than the which is cool. I think but. that's, but that's. I mean, that literally is just used as a how do these characters who can't talk communicate with yeah. each other? That's kind of a screenplay hack, if you ask me. Well, and it's kind of. I mean, okay, so the silence is doing a very very similar yeah. kind of thing. So okay, very which good. Isn't, which isn't to say representation for its own sake, even if it is like to hack your story a little bit. There you look. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing any stones. I am just saying it's not like integral to the film. They could have wrote everything on notepads, Dalton. <laughs> well, that would have been a boring film. <laughs> <laughs> a frustrating <laughs> ass movie. 30 minutes for a back and oh, forth God. conversation. Are you going to complain about subtitles now? No, mm-hmm. I've never. When do I complain about subtitles? I don't know. I, just... I remember. Do you remember? Oh, I, I remember. <laughs> Sorry. All right, Dustin, what's your fucking class going to be about? I, I think something in the realm of philosophical ethics. And talking about revenge in cinema. Yeah, sure. Because it is a problematic thing, and the ways in which it's problematized, and the ways in which it's sometimes weirdly valorized. And so um, this movie is a movie about seeking vengeance and how it kills everybody. Um, In the UK, we've got the McDonough's uh, working on Seven Psychopaths. And yep. so I'd add that film to it. In the United States, we've got Blue Ruin, which is great because it mm. is one of the rare American films in which uh, this kind of seeking of vengeance is utterly destructive and self-destructive. But then I think I would look to your Death Wishes and your Takens as 
movies that celebrate, or you know, Mel Gibson and Ransom would be another good example of yeah. this as well. I mean, look, you could just throw a dart Commando. at Mel Gibson's filmography. And, I mean, yeah, you know. and, and, John, and yeah, early Schwarzenegger, sure, yeah, yeah, and and the ways in which American cinema really celebrates this. But as we go, go over into other national cinemas and begin to have other conversations, we begin to see that it's really kind of a destructive factor. And just wrestle with the questions of, you know, if an eye for an eye is what is sought, it's going to leave the whole world blind. It's a feast that leaves you full of ashes, and it's not pleasant. And uh, again, in an ethics course, just talking about where forgiveness needs to happen, how, what forgiveness might look like, where forgiveness might be something short of forgiveness, but at least not seeking out revenge, and uh, what's the difference between revenge and justice, which are all interesting and pertinent questions, yeah. and wrestle with those ethical issues. So this is um, something of a philosophy course um, that I'm trying to put together oh, here. I like that. That's a different uh, path for you to take. But yeah, there's a lot of good readings you can pair with those films. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, and yeah. of course, just the major texts, you know, regarding that kind you of You mentioned stuff. the McDonough brothers. I'm surprised uh, you didn't mention Calvary. Calvary, I... I Calvary, sorry. Calvary, I like a lot. But Calvary has a different sort of tenor with it because... Yeah, sure. It, 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 it's about a guy seeking vengeance and a guy submitting to that vengeance. It's not so much about... Well, it's about a guy submitting to the vengeance of somebody else. Sure, it's which is a very much different thing than what they uh, they did together. And or did both brothers work on Seven Psychopaths? I, if I remember right, yes. I don't think you're right. I think they both worked on the screenplay too. But we could be. Right. It's not important. Though. It, yeah. yeah, you're right. Seven Psychopaths is striving at like a very different thing. The the question is, if you seek this, what does it get you? And it gets you nothing. Yeah. And I think that's a very very interesting and important sort of uh, you know point to make and uh, to see films that make the point and the counterpoint and then to wrestle with those questions in an ethics kind of class. I think would be very very fun so um outside of film studies today but fun times so there you go dear listener your syllabus just got much longer i believe now though it's time to get down to business it's Oh, yeah, dear listener and that business is as always analysis so i don't need excel Open. I'm not going to do any spreadsheet work. Okay. No, I don't think so. I think we're going to just get straight to it. Misread the situation. Oh, that's yeah. oh, business means Excel for you. Yeah, I brought the accounting stuff. I I thought we were going to go through the books. No, but I, I did send you a memo that you should look at. It's about uh, Dustin's percentage. Uh, so <laughs> do when, I get a percentage now? Not anymore. Okay. It's hundred percent of zero. <laughs> I get all of that. <laughs> I get all of the nothing. All of it. It's a multi-dollar industry that we've got <laughs> running here. Multi-cent. <laughs> um, right. So um, there well, are... was very enthused earlier to he get to was... this point. Yes, I am. You want to? I mean, just in general, I was enthused for us to get here. Wh- which uh... point were you addressing there, Arthur? I don't know. Earlier, he was bursting at the seams to get to analysis to talk. I think everything healthcare. I mean, well, no, actually, that's I hadn't even thought about that until we talked about it today. Uh, that's a whole other avenue we've cracked open for this film. Uh, I, I was thinking about let's talk about violence first uh, violence because we, we kind of got there, uh, all three of us in our own ways in the review portion of the show. Uh, and I think uh, it was brought up the the ethical lifting, the uh, the showing or the now well, the alluding, not showing, as you mentioned, Arthur. And the Dustin, you talked about the, those ellipses, or uh, not important. We talked about them. Uh, I uh, we we discussed uh, many months ago now, back in when we were doing October, uh, kind of the history of violence on screen, uh, kind of the evolution of what you could show, how it was depicted, how Hitchcock kind of changed things. Uh, and it is very interesting. I mean, this film is obviously 
hyper-violent. Um, we see some pretty gross stuff here. But there is a lot that we don't see. And again, uh, things that we, we see people's reactions to. Uh, I well, think one of the even most... Even when we see the violence, it is kind of weirdly alighted. Because I'm thinking about when um, he bashes the head in of the brother who's already dead in mm-hmm. front of his mother. Yeah. Which is, as a descriptor... Awful. Yeah, yeah. But it's a pretty long shot. And uh, it's not juicy. No, I mean, he shoots it at a distance. At a remove. The body, the uh, reused body is hiding the the scene other than the bat swinging down. We don't see bladder. We We, don't see Well, we get a lot of camera as God's POV. I mean, when uh, he's burying his sister, when he's doing this murder, I mean, we return to that. uh, And that's, you know, that's kind of a Park Chan-Wook staple. But uh, easily the on-screen violence could be much more explicit is what I'm trying to make. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we get an Achilles tendon shot that's really Mm. unpleasant. We get a a big... But that's after the slice. Yes. We get a big classic neck spurt. Uh, but yeah, again, the actual act of stabbing is fairly nonviolent, as depicted. It is the uh, the removing of the impalement. But when again, you pull a one screwdriver of the... out of your neck; it's going to go badly. Leave the screwdriver oh, in, dear listener. Listen to your it's mom. An you got to listen she to your mom. Man. One of the more gruesome things for me is very early on, mm-hmm. and it's when he goes to the black market to sell a kidney, and then he wakes up with that scar. Yeah. Oh and my And all I can word. think of is the surgery that got him to that point. Yeah. With them removing that kidney, and that to me is horrendous. Like. Yeah. Well, and then the, the surgery in general is it's I think it's um, somewhat inaccurate. Um, that looks more like the scar of a kidney um, insertion yeah. because it doesn't take as much to cut from yeah. what I understand to put a kidney in. You would and, know this. And it looks more like that yeah. than it, what it takes to pull one out. Yeah. Well, thanks for that comfort. Yeah, now he's got Neil three De- kidneys. Thanks, Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, no. Uh, Do not <laughs> ever call me that. <laughs> Sorry. I did for, forget This should have been called symph- uh, that Sympathy of Mr. Vengeance. Uh, <laughs> Gentleman's vengeance. Uh, the uh, the the choices. Uh, the the other one we've kind of uh, not mentioned yet. Uh, when uh, Mr. Park, uh, yep. has character tortures yeah. Duna Bay. A lot of that. I mean, we see some of it, but I think the extent of it is well. Throwing her under a comforter is an interesting choice. Well, again, it, it is that we we were we have people who are not violent people forced into violent situations yep. throughout this film. Uh, and Ryu, uh, right? I'm not sure the pronunciation on that. I don't know if it varies from country to country because I think it's dragon in Japanese. I don't, we're, look, my language skills are not at our discussion here. Uh, he goes a little bit more hardcore violent, uh, you know, in terms of like the acts he commits. But uh, there is a remove for both of them. I, I think th- that's a good point to to make, Dustin, because uh, Sun King Ho's character kind of uh, sets up situations more than he gets himself into fights. Uh, a lesson that he learns early in the film, kind of, uh, with mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the attempted uh, extortion. I know it's kind of a hard to parse. We'll talk about yeah. that when we start talking about class stuff, probably. Uh, Can I confess a thing and ask a question? Yeah. So um, there is a scene of violence in which um, he incapacitates Rue, right, um, when he grabs yeah. the doorknob. Toward, and towards the end of the film. Towards the end of the film. So yeah. there's an 18-month-year-old baby running around my house at this moment. Uh-huh. Okay. And so at one moment, he's closed the door. At the next moment, he's incapacitated as far as my watching was going. Mm-hmm. Did he electrocute him? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He, he rigged the, the doorknob. Door Okay, yeah. that's what that's what I assumed. He played possum on the bed, so he thought. Really I, I knew he was playing play. possum. Yeah. yeah, I heard him fake snoring. Yeah, which is unhelpful for a deaf person, but nonetheless, he, well, he know. doesn't know. He doesn't know. Wow, that's true. He doesn't find out till later. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, nobody realizes that about Ryu. It's such an interesting choice. It too. is. It's it's I mean, really that's where the whole crux of that tragedy comes from because the 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 girl can't get his attention. 
Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that she doesn't realize he's deaf. That whole sequence gives me real Night of the Hunter vibes. Just like the way uh, that is depicted, uh, just her use on floating. Whew. Yeah, just like pure like nightmare imagery, but like in that really dreamy nightmare way. Well, it's very that Ophelia painting that Large Von Trier recreates for Melancholia. Yeah, sure. It's sure, got, sure. got vibes yeah. of that going with it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, again, violence in this film is is handled very seriously and it isn't i mean old boy uh is a much grimier film uh i mean mm-hmm. he, this is already as arthur pointed out this is a grimy film but it go old boy's grimier both in like set design but also in terms of just story content yeah. it, it's a yeah. it's a grosser uh deliberately like a uh, more taboo breaking film yeah uh but uh, it's much more of an action film too. I mean, it kind of like lets you have fun with the violence a little bit more, even in the sequence. A lot earlier too. Sure, yeah. I mean, the hammer the fight hallway, is super yeah. cool. Uh, but that, I mean, even that's preceded by a pretty gross torture scene. Um, so this this is a, a filmmaker who is not shy about making audiences think about violence. Uh, I know Stoker, uh, a film you're a big fan of, Dustin doesn't I shy away from movie. unpleasant violence. Yeah. Uh, do, do we have any other other thoughts on on the the use here? Because I, I think it does just kind of further this this theme about uh, vengeance being not uh, a worthwhile pursuit. Well, I think or at least one that damns you. Part of the grossness of the violence in the film, despite the fa- uh, and I think it works in both ways. So the violence that we see is utterly disgusting. It's utterly repulsive, and I'm I'm thinking about the choice of you know covering up um, Veduna's um, you know. Form. Uh, form as she's mm-hmm. being electrocuted, but then the choice to have this urine stream running out of her while yeah. she's being electrocuted and tortured yeah. to get the information. Like, there's a way in which I'm not going to show you somebody being electrocuted to death, but I'm also going to show you some of the effect of it. Well, that there's a. I, I, this could just be me, but I don't know if anybody else noticed this. The, the brother who is, you know, uh, Committing an act of assault uh, when he's stabbed, uh, yes. you know, dies with his pants down, and you see feces uh, smeared down his leg. I don't know if anybody else caught that. I didn't. There is. I yeah, I, I thought I noticed the stain on. His, I didn't connect that. It looked like though. feces to me. Yeah, that would and, no, and, but that would totally check out. And there is like a, a, it's not a fart sound effect, but there is a sound uh, in that moment. So it does seem to elude. To, yeah, I mean, like, this is a film that does not shy away from death and violence. The realism of I mean, death. we watch Song Kang Ho's face as he watches his daughter's autopsy. Like, it's right. a horrifying scene. Also, I don't I don't know what the rules are. That doesn't happen. Uh, that's not a thing that I'm... I don't know. I, th- it doesn't matter, though. It is such a horrifying scene Having to put on film. Having buried a daughter, I can tell you, no, it does not. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm aware. I have two grandparents in the death business. Yeah, like, that's not a thing that happens, really. But, uh, you know, you maybe identify your next to kin, but that, you're not there for that, uh, for a good reason. But I, I think the choice, uh, regardless of whether or not that's an option available to, uh, you know, uh, people who uh, are, are, have lost somebody in South Korea, the choice to depict that scene is, is really what's interesting, because it does kind of frame Song Kang-ho's, like, grief in a very interesting way. But what I was going to say is what it does with violence mm-hmm. is that it makes it... Um, horrific, and even its choices to hide that violence yeah. sort of makes it all the worse. It it, it does this thing in which um, you are uh, to assume as a spectator that 
violence itself is this gross, ugly, disgusting thing. It, it, it's, it's a moral commentary, I think. The choice, uh, the choices when it's shown is it's shown as gross as possible. And even when the choice is, is made for it to not be shown, it also is heightening the, the, the sort of gnarly, well, visceral, gristle-laden, bloody mess that it is. Well, it's also evoking a feeling as much, right? Because, yeah. like, when Ryu walks in on his sister, like, we, we see her death. I mean, we do see him, like, you know, hold her. Uh, but His were, girlfriend? His sister, who's committed suicide. Oh, well, fair um, enough, yeah. But, you know, the, the, the thing that gets us to the, to the river. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That sequence is, you know, mostly shot. His finding of the body is revealed to us in flashes. Like, it, it, it is trying to show the experience of seeing something traumatic as the way it's, you know, it's, it's really trying to give you the impact of, like, seeing something, like, in glances and, like, oh, shit, is this what I think it is? And, like, that moment where your brain doesn't quite know what it's seeing. Like, it, the the use uh, of that obfuscation of violence in, in those moments, is, again, and this kind of goes for the, the autopsy scene as well, it, it hides the thing, but it also, as, as, you, as you point out, this makes it worse. It, it makes it, even when it's not making it more graphic, it's like ratcheting up the feeling, mm-hmm. uh, even when it's not trying to allude to, you know, the, the urine, the, the things that are uh, highlighting how graphic and gross these things are. It is often also highlighting how unpleasant it is. And I think the urine does that as well, because I think uh, Song Kang Ho like really plays... That scene disgusted. Like he, he plays that scene very disgusted with himself. Well, a, a little bit. He just moves his food and keeps eating it. I, I don't know. I, that's so I read nasty. it different. I, I read... I, okay, I, you're absolutely right, though. He does but, kind of, at that point, just kind of shrug it off. I, I mean, earlier on. And he's not even very... looking when he turns the dial up to 11 or whatever yeah. to finally kill her. I, there's a way in that's which he, he stops seeing this person as a human being. Well, and there's a but blanket. The, but I think the film wants us to know that she is and to know... Sort of what the monster he's become. You're right. You might be. Uh, I might be reading my uh, my own uh, experience of that scene on its performance. You're absolutely right. Because uh, it's woo. Uh, the the whole uh, final sequence with him and too is just this this moment of uh, I know you're a good guy. Uh, I figured that out about you, but uh, this mm-hmm. is how it's got to go down. But you you kill my kid, so yeah, you're going to die. I mean, it's uh, that that whole final 15 minutes when the violence does get. I mean, like the last act of violence is we're right there for it too. I mean, we stop kind of. Uh, looking away because the first act of violence uh and this is kind of a fun wraparound on this conversation uh is uh probably the ki- well i know the kidney theft yeah the kidney theft comes yep. first but we don't really see that but the first thing we really see uh is this other employee of mr parks uh mutilate himself uh in front of him yeah. uh, and then you know the the slice when he, he tries to take the man. box cutter from him and the delay of the blood is yeah. just Oh man! It's yeah, really. Again, really upset. This is a film that does not shy away from realism uh, whenever it can, and you know it heightens things when it wants to, and it's realistic when it wants to. But uh, those choices are are very interesting. But yeah, it's it is those those first kind of inciting and closing incidents of violence are the most graphic, the ones that we are the most upfront and center for, which is really interesting. So um, we're talking about the depiction of the representation of violence now. I guess we ought to move on to the conversation this film is having with. Um, violence itself as a solution for your problems. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we can, uh, I mean, this is, gives us a, kind of an uh, inroad into the grief conversation because that's a big part of what this film's about, too. Well, my initial question is, do we have sympathy for Mr. Vengeance? And who is more Mr. importantly, Vengeance? who is Mr. Vengeance? Yeah. Yes. That is the real question. You're, yes, is just your answer across the board there? They so are, who is Mr. Vengeance? Are, yes. are they both, Mr. Park and um, Rio? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've both been wrong. Yeah. Systemically and, and physically. Personally. And, yeah. And yeah. Uh, through, through, uh, 
events that they are only so much in control of. Uh, yeah, it is a series of bad situations they put themselves in, uh, which isn't to blame either of them for what happens. Uh, I, I think Ryu is obviously the most at blame for kidnapping a child, but, but it is, right. you know, it, it, but it, he doesn't intentionally. And it, 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 it is the most kind kidnapping of the history of kidnaps. Yeah. I mean, he, he takes her toy away to make her cry. So because it's very, she's having such a good time, yeah, yeah. she can't make he a can't, sad he face. He can't for get the a good boys. ransom picture. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> funny scene. You're absolutely right, and yet at the same time, he's the one that has chosen to break bad. It's very interesting. You're right. I mean, there is a sympathy there. He's doing his best to like control the situation. You can't control for everything. I mean, and that is really what this film argues about the quest for vengeance. And I'm glad you brought up Blue Ruin, Dustin, because it's another film that plays around with that and feels very influenced because by this film. Because you can't blame a guy for, you know, um, doing a kidnapping to pay for the kidney for a sister. Like, no, you can't, you can't blame him for uh, going to extraordinary means to try and save his sister. Absolutely not. And then after that all goes terribly, terribly wrong and his sister dies, you can't blame that guy for wanting to kill the people who, you know, yeah. lied to him and cheated him. Yeah. Who took his kid? And yet, and yet, and yet, well, his okay, sister but, does kill herself because he got a child killed. Right. Um, oh which, no, sorry. Uh, because he kidnapped a child. child. Sorry. Unintended consequences yeah. is, is part of this as well. But the same thing with Mr. Park. You can't blame a guy for wanting to kill the people who killed his kid. Yeah. But at the same time, if you go down that road. You become a different kind of person. We're all connected, right? I mean, right. Th- this is a thing that the film keeps getting at, right? You can't just like go around doing wrong to people because you never know who because you've been connect- wronged. Yeah, because you don't know how that person is already connected to you, mm-hmm. um, yeah. or who those people are. Con- I mean, that is right. Duna Bay tries to warn him, but you can't. I've, I have friends that are terrorists. They will murder you. Like you, you don't want to do this. She tries to tell him. Yeah, she does. She tries. She, she tries to be straight up with him, like and it does. It comes so well. She does play it well because it's. It, it is kind of unclear if it's a bluff or a well, the promise. Movie plays it well too. Yeah. Oh, the movie plays it great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I find the flyers, and she was the only member of the army. And... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The, the, the movie like, the investigators yeah. is like there's nobody else, but no, they're just that subterranean, yeah. right? Yeah. I do love the investigators in here. They're fun. They, uh, they we don't are... get a lot of them, but they do kind of add a fun. They're layer. kind of a hoot. Yeah. yeah. It's a fun uh, side movie going on that we don't ever see. So I, I think the movie, like, as a title, I think sympathy itself is kind of ironic. Is that you can sure. understand? Yeah. Uh, I think sympathy in this sense means simply just you understand the motivation behind. Yeah, yeah sympathy is not empathy, right? And so you you can say, okay, I get it, because mm-hmm. it's not empathy, which is where I was going. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, it's not empathy for Mister Vengeance. Is that you say? And though I understand why you did what you did, I now have viewed this film and would then react in a different way in similar circumstances. It seems to be the way it's trying to point us. Yeah. Right. It's an anti-vengeance film. It's a film that's all about violence, that's full of violence. It's yeah. very much anti-violence and anti-revenge, which Absolutely. is fascinating. Well, because you're right. I mean, uh, as we've already talked about, that's just not a direction that I, I, any cinema typically goes. I mean, you can look at... There, there's revenge films in every, every language you can think of. Scores. Uh, yeah, and they don't always go this route. Uh, I mean, even South Korean revenge films don't always go this route. I mean, there there is a, a plenty of heroic bloodshed uh, going on in their genre cinema, just like there is in ours. Uh, th- I mean, I, I think the primary component that, that allows us to get as real with where vengeance takes you is, is the 
the attempts at emotional realism in this film, right? Like at the attempts to depict grief. Uh, I mean, whether it's uh, Song Kang Ho, uh, you know, depression couch surfing uh, and just like watching trash pile up on his coffee table in front of him or um, the, the the grief scream uh, we get from Rhi, like uh, the, the burial of his sister. All, all of this mm-hmm. stuff is stacked upon each other, right? I mean, these aren't individual events. These are the, the cohesive picture of the film. Uh, and, and they are all painting as much a, as much as they're painting an anti-violence picture. They're they're painting a portrait of grief gone wrong, right? You know the things that, uh, and the grief doesn't have to be the, the grief of a death, right? I mean, it, early on it is just Ryu's grief at his inability to help his sister, mm. uh, his grief knowing that she will die. It's like that that, uh, uh, time delayed release grief, uh, right? In some ways. Uh, and it is very interesting because, you know, there's we, we spend so long talking about the stages of grief, which, uh, you know, uh, m- current uh, clinical research says, nope, bad science. Well, the Kugler-Ross thing doesn't work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Kugler-Ross model doesn't work. Well, it's not linear. I mean, I think no. those stages are real. Yeah, there's this guy, George uh, B- Bonanno, B-O-N-A, B-O-N-A, hell of a name. Banana. B-O-N-A-N-N-O. Um, he's a clinical psychology be professor. Mo, be mo. <laughs> He works at Columbia. Papa Umau uh, Mau. You guys are just going to keep doing this, huh? Okay. <laughs> All right. One time I try to be smart. Uh, silly boys. Uh, you, stay in your you're line. absolutely right. I should stay in my lane. To Dustin's point, yes. Uh, it's not, it's, it, there's no linear model. It is just like the human brain is psychologically resilient. Uh, you're going to have to deal with some shit. Um, and it, it is a matter of how you parse through those things. And that's kind the, of an oversimplification of, like, a current research. But. To be clear, in case the dear listener is listening and sort of aware of the literature, the Kubler-Ross model is useful when you yourself are expecting your own death. That the, the, the those stages, mm, yeah. not not necessarily linear still, but nonetheless, those stages are pretty clear. And the Kubler-Ross model is about that. It, 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 actually, the research was about when you find out you've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so all of that denial and dealing and anger and et cetera, that's what that deals with. And I think there is a, you know, auxiliary, ancillary, corollary that you can draw between you know, experiencing the grief of someone else being, you know, sure. taken from you. But it's not the same thing. No, it's not. And, and again, I mean, you're Just also FYI. talking about a model of, of emotional experience that's rooted in, you know, cultural experiences as well. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that the, that model's kind of been mm-hmm. uh, put to the wayside. But yeah, the, I mean, the current clinical research does suggest uh, different things about how the human brain experiences loss and grief. It is much more of a, you know, just a state. It is a thing that happens and continues to happen. There's not really a, a linear progression of feelings. But I think, Correct. to your point, that propagation of those ideas uh, kind of colors our experiences of our own emotions sometimes uh, and, uh, you know, can color, uh, you know, getting stuck in anger, right? I, mean, I think uh, knowing that anger is an acceptable reaction to grief can allow people to get uh, mired in that. And I think that's a big part of what we're seeing in this film, right? We have... Two people who, uh, at every turn, are not able to let go of the anger they're feeling. That's the only thing that they can process uh, when they're dealing with this loss. Because, again, this is why I have, surprisingly, uh, less sympathy for Ryu, despite his, uh, you know, his very uh, heartfelt attempts at, uh, you know, redistributing wealth. Uh, he did a bad, bad, bad thing. And he, instead he of taking did. responsibility for it, he goes and kills the gangsters that he uh, who wronged him, which is not 
really the most healthy reaction to the fact that he got a child killed. Though they needed killing, you're right. He didn't decide they needed killing until he gets a child murdered. Right. Uh, He brings on everything himself. Exactly. Yeah. It's a set of poor decisions. Which doesn't make Mr. Park a hero here. Correct. Uh, He he really is just a, a... I was not even an anti-villain. Um, well, yeah, maybe that's what where he lands. Anti-villain? Yeah, a villain who's not really a villain. Mm, fair. Which is like, like a, anti-hero is a hero who's not really a hero. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't come I up like with that. I didn't come up with that. Uh, but, yeah, you feel free to deploy that at your leisure. I'm going to credit you, though. Go for it. you got to make it sound smart. I'll take it where I can get it, boys. Uh, we, we got anything else we want to say about grief? Uh, no. Me neither. I want to talk about class, though. Yeah, I thought we might. Because it's interesting because the the film sort of parallels Ryu and uh, Mr. Park. Yep. And Mr. Park's clearly much upper class, and sure. Ryu is clearly working class. And the ways in which they both find themselves weirdly disenfranchised and needing to seek revenge. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, again, I cannot think about this movie without thinking about Parasite, and it's sort of really clear class consciousness. Well, I mean, even It's muddled fa- here, though, yes? It's muddled, but I mean, even I can't stop thinking about how much South Korean cinema like has a class consciousness to mm-hmm. it, uh, and, and I, you know, the, the history of that country probably has a lot to do with that. I imagine, uh, but whether it's this, The Foul King, Parasite, Old Boy, another part—I mean, that's yeah. a film. Class is kind of front and center in that film too. Um, but you're right; it is. I think Parasite's also kind of less clear cut. Uh, you know, the more I've uh, on multiple viewings and like the more I've thought about it, I think. It gets grayer the more you think about it. Uh, it's a little less clearly gray up front than this is. Uh, but you're right. This is much more like Parasite. There's a, a lot clearer lines of like sympathetic characters. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah, you're right. The, there's no. No, I don't like the rich people at all in I, Parasite. I don't ever. I think they're charming, but you're right. You don't like them as much as you like Mr. Park. Absolutely. Correct. In, in this film. Uh, and, and I think there, he gets an interesting line uh, uh, when he's uh, speaking with the investigator after his, his daughter's found. He says, I always thought I led a, an honest life, um, <laughs> which there you go. I mean, that's the film's class consciousness at work. It, it knows what it's doing. Uh, but you're absolutely right. He is much more sympathetic, and, and the, the lines of allegiance are unclear. Yeah, I don't know what else I want to say about that other than, I mean, Ryu's struggle makes sense to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, though I don't agree with what he chose, I understand why he chose it. Um, he gets pushed into it by his uh, his partner's politics a little bit, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Which yeah. Ryu yeah. seems kind of apolitical, uh, whereas yeah, obviously Duna Bay is not. No, uh, I mean her. Our introduction to her is writing her anarchist newsletter or whatever, um, which is just a fun intro to a character. I want to know so much more about Korean South Korean anarchists right now. It just yeah, that's I need that more in my life. Every time we watch a film for this marathon, I leave thinking, ah, oh, there's so much more I want to know about South Korean Who South Korean culture. Failed Failed immigration attempt in North Korea and got caught in a fisherman's so net. So funny. Tell me more about such this. A, <laughs> such a fascinating character. What? I mean, that's another one of the times that this this film like tricks you into forgetting how bleak it's already been. Right. I mean, because it's it's bleak from jump. Uh, we already get allusions to a dead child, like with a, the doll that we'll see later in the film. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we open on, right? Uh, so to have these goofy these goofy details like that are just interesting tonal choices that I'm so fascinated by. But it does seem like there is a certain nobility that is attributed to Ryu's fundamental motivations Mm -hmm. that is not present in Mr. Park. The Mr. Park, I mean, he lost a daughter and he's suffering Mm -hmm. grief, right? 
Um, he's not the first father who's lost a daughter mm-hmm. to murder or mm-hmm. accident or whatever. Mm-hmm. And again, he doesn't know all the details of what it went down, and he ends up sort of figuring that out as yeah. time goes by. He assumes probably murder, but that being said, um, it seems like there is a easier propensity towards violence for him than there is for you. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, I mean, he does go there quicker. I mean, because... Does his, that make sense? Yeah, his road to violence starts later than Ryu's, and he gets to violence quicker, quicker. than Ryu does. Yeah. Correct, yeah. And I, I think there is some awareness there. Well, and he says it himself, right? Uh, and as we've already mentioned, uh, he says, I know you're a good man, like, in the process of saying, hi, here you are, uh, tied up and vulnerable. This is where it happens. Somebody needs to die, and it's going to be you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he even says it, but there's and there is a nobility in Mr. Park's death, right? Like the the act of uh, uh, his murder is is treated as a judicial sentence by the people who do it, right? They it's say, an execution. Yeah. yeah, this is this is done dispassionately uh, and efficiently. It is not about vengeance where the murder prior is, right? The murder prior is a torture. It's a torture, yeah. yeah. The murder he receives is pretty quick. Well, it's kind of justice. Exactly. If it's, I dare it, say. Yeah. I would dare agree with you. Yeah, and that is where the film does get interesting, is it says, your money doesn't protect you from the loss of a child or the loss of your own life. Uh, it doesn't give you the right to pursue vengeance any more than it gave you the right to pursue vengeance against the capitalist system that, you know, cost is, uh, so, like, wouldn't give a sister a new kidney or wouldn't right. make dialysis cheaper. Right. I mean, so there's some interesting stuff going on there in terms of what the film fundamentally comes down on in terms of who acted ethically and who did not act ethically. Right. I think the film would argue nobody acted ethically, probably. I, I think so. But fundamentally. It, yeah. But which I, is why it's sympathy. Right. Um, what, do we know what the, is there a more literal translation of the Korean title? As you look it up, it does seem, though, that the movie has more sympathy for you I than would it say that does. That seems fair, yeah. So, well, I, mean, I mean, most of the film, more of the film is from his POV, for sure. So is he Mr. Vengeance? Hmm. No, I think Mr. Park's Mr. Vengeance. I really do. I think if you got if yeah. you're putting saying one or the other, I tend to think so too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ryu's just uh, a hurricane of feelings. Despite the fact, I think we have much more sympathy for him. I have sympathy for Mr. Park, and I think uh, that comes down to Song Kang Ho's performance. Well, I mean, I do in too. a lot of ways. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, Ryu is presented as a more sympathetic character, but I think that's the interesting crux of this is. You know, it is uh, the the dual protagonist nature of it does allow you to see everything from both POVs and allows you to go into this conflict with uh, allegiances to both men. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you feel fundamentally bad for the series of events that have befallen both of them. Did you guess the translation, Arthur? Yeah, literally translated is vengeance is mine. OK. Oh, well, then Which is still a fun dual title situation, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Vengeance, Vengeance is mine as a title actually makes much more sense than it sympathy does. for Mr. Vengeance. It does. So, okay. Because, uh, you know, uh, fundamentally, uh, Vengeance uh, is, is mine's... Uh, well, who's that guy that says that a lot? Vengeance is mine declareth who saith the that? Lord. Oh, is it the Lord that saith he that? He saith that. Seek hmm. not vengeance on thy own. Give God time, as it says in Romans 12. Well, look, I, I'm I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and say that the anarchists in this film are agents of the divine, uh, but I am going to say that Car- I am going to say yes. karma lands at your front door through a variety of means, uh, and you know that's sometimes how it shakes out. Awesome! I love that note to end on. Unless we have one other theme that we want to explore with this film, 
No, I think we we kind of have crossed off the big ones. Perfect. So let's render a verdict. Shelver trash. What do you say, Arthur? Oh, oh really? Your face. Going to very very softly put it on the shelf, but only as part of a collection. Because the you other love two the trilogy. Films. Yeah. Well, okay. I like Lady Vengeance a lot. You appreciate the trilogy. Yeah. So that that's where I land. I I just not as interested as I was in the moment when I watched it. I I love the idea of the dual protagonist and that mirror that takes place there, but I just yeah kind of checked out on it. Fair enough. Fair enough. What do you say, Dalton? I'm kind of in an opposite boat of Arthur. I I actually had a harder time getting on the film's wavelength as I was watching it. I found myself checking out a lot, but uh, I watched it probably four days ago now, and it really just sat with me. And uh, kind of, I kind of marinated with me. Um, so I've come to appreciate it a lot more. I still don't like it that much. Just there, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot I like, but it's not an easy sit. It really isn't. It is a challenging. That's fair. It's a deliberately challenging film. Uh, I am also going to lightly shelf it. It's it's not as interesting to me as the Falcon King, honestly. Uh, if we're just looking at the. And just in terms of, you know, how much there is. I think there actually is a little bit more going on in the Falcon. Just, uh, look, the, the feelings being, uh, wrestled with, uh, to, to, to bring that, that riff back, uh, <laughs> and, and that film just, just, uh, you know, there's, there's a realism to there. I like the, the like, grief being dealt with in this film, but I, again, I'm, 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 I'm shelving it. Uh, but it is, as with Arthur's, a very soft shelf. And again, I think it is more of a, I like a lot of what this is doing, and I think it's very important in terms of having proper context for uh, Park Chan-wook's career and Song Kang-ho's career uh, and just kind of understanding South Korean New Wave. I think you got to have it, as Arthur said. like It is part of a pretty prominent trilogy of films. But yeah, I don't love it. I like it a whole, whole, whole lot, though. All right, I'm going to give an, an enthusiastic shelf. Yeah, it kind of seemed I, that I way. I like this movie a lot. I thought he was going to plot twist this and say an enthusiastic trash. No, no, no. no. He, yeah, I, I had a feeling this was an enthusiastic shelf. I, I am very warm on this film. You seem very surprised at how much we like it less than you. Because I, well, cause I know how much you guys all like Blue Ruin, and it's doing the same kind of thing. It gets to where it's going a lot quicker, though. Well, okay, fair enough. A lot less moving pieces. <laughs> but I like them. I, I, well, okay, I like that. I, I also like the... We we can talk about why I like Blue Ruin better off the show. Okay, fair um, enough, fair enough. Yeah, but uh, I, I think, and maybe it's because I've seen Parasite already. You know, I, I, I'm kind of watching, a, uh, I'm experiencing Korean New Wave in reverse a little bit. You know, I've, I've picked up a couple of things along the way, but um, I would not call myself versed in it in any capacity. Nor would I. Um, so yeah, maybe it's because I've seen Parasite and I'm like, well, we're going to get to much more interesting conversations about class and like retribution uh, in, you know, 15 years or so. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And uh, we had a good time talking about it. We hope you enjoyed the show. I believe there's yet another film in the Song of Praise series. What is the, uh, the series marathon? Speaking a couple of, more verses. Speaking of Director Bong. Uh, yes, uh, we are going to... And I was really torn, so I want to I outline... Because I haven't really outlined the Selection development process. of yeah this, this marathon. And so, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's got... <laughs> Like thirty so credits to his name, probably. Yeah, I mean a lot of movies and, and multiple movies with very big name directors. Yeah, and so I I wanted to kind of run the gamut. I mean, he's worked with Park, he's worked with uh, Kim Ji Woon, he's worked with Bong, and and just kind of to name a few, and kind of the key names I think that especially Americans are familiar with. Um, but I wanted to kind of run the gamut of genre as well, 
And I thought about doing The Quiet Family, which is more horror comedy. But then I was like, but the host is there and Thirst is there. And so I was like, ah, but the host would be fun. But do we do Memory of a Murder? And I was like, really I hoping you were going to pick Memory yeah. of a Murder. I got to be honest. After I, I mean, you told me about it. One. It's a fair choice. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of back and forth. I was like, if I do one kind of detective crime thriller, yeah. I don't want to do another one. So, uh, but yeah, next week. Um, we're, we are going to look at, uh, Mr. Mr. Bong Joon-ho, uh, and we are going to look at the host. Very excited. The Bong Hive swarms again, and we're going to be doing just that. I can't wait to talk about it with my dear co-hosts. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.